Pulp MX Network production. Welcome to the Pulp Hockey Show with Ray Ferraro and Steve Mathis. Support the show by clicking the Amazon banner on PulpHockey.com before shopping. Follow the show on Twitter at Pulp Hockey. Subscribe on iTunes and find us on Stitcher or your favorite podcast app. Welcome, everybody, to the Paul Pocky Podcast. Thank you for listening. I uh, really appreciate it. Get it wherever you get podcasts from, Stitcher, uh, any kind of Android app, uh, iTunes, of course. Review us. Give us a, a review and uh, let us know what you think of the show, at Paul Pocky on Twitter. I'm Steve Mathis. With me on the line, the guy that you really want to talk to, over 400 goals scored in the NHL, TSN broadcaster Ray Ferrara. What's up, Ray? How are you, man? i, I got to be honest with you. I'm a little tired today. I... Uh... Yeah, I spent five hours at EA Sports taping for uh, for the video game for EA Hockey, mm-hmm. and um, you know did two hours of radio. So talking to you was just what I wanted to do for an hour. I wow. was like, this is listen, fantastic. You're you decided on this time, and you're taking me away from the Leaf game. So you well, know. yeah. Except I'm on a flight tomorrow. You didn't want to do Thursday or Friday because you want to eat turkey. No, tomorrow's Turkey and, Day. No, tomorrow's t- well, okay. Tomorrow, yeah. sit on your ass and eat turkey and watch football. Yes, exactly. Um, well, I got to fly. I got to fly to Columbus, which <laughs> pees me off because <laughs> I'm going to miss the football on the way there. But oh yeah. well, yeah. life. Um, you got to call a home game. Uh, that's nice, right? Sleep in your own bed and everything. Yep. Drive in. That's that's got to be. You look at your schedule and you're just like, yes, Vancouver. Uh, I get two of them a year, and um, so I did Winnipeg at Vancouver on Monday night. Uh, Patrick Laine scored three goals. Mm-hmm. The, the Jets won six three. It somehow, at one point, the game was four three, and Vancouver hadn't touched the puck for hours. <laughs> Yet the game was four three. I mean, Winnipeg was is really good. I I think the four best teams are Winnipeg, Nashville, Tampa, Toronto. Mm -hmm. And the crazy part about that is they're grouped in the same division. So two of those teams are out in the second round. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Right. It's uh, all that work and all that effort. And and yeah, you got to get out of your, out of your division. Um, Yeah. It must be, you only get two a year, huh? Two Vancouver. That's just how it works out. Just, just, yeah, that's the way it works. Oh Um, boy. Generally, because generally Toronto plays here on a Wednesday, Saturday, and that's a, a national game that we don't get. Yep. Um, so we'll get an Ottawa game, I think, sometime in March. Yeah. And uh, had the the Jets uh, yeah. the game yesterday and or Monday, and that was it. All right. Um, wow. All right. Hey, so we have a lot to talk about. Ryan Rashog from TSN is coming on because uh, there's news in Edmonton again. And I, Ray, I got to give you credit here. I hate giving you credit, but uh, you Thank know you. a thing or two about hockey. I'm, I'm going to say that right now. Uh, like. Three shows ago, the Oilers were like six and two or six and two one or something, and I was saying, "Hey, look at the Oilers! They're 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 playing well. They're turning this corner." And you were not buying it. You were like, "Ah, you know, I'm watching their components and their stats." And you you just you were like, "Yeah, good for them," but I'm not I'm not on board. You you pretty much said yeah. that on the podcast. Yeah, I I just don't think that they're a well constructed team, mm-hmm. and so. You know, Todd McClellan gets fired, and in a lot of cases, the you know the coach takes one on the chin because the GM has screwed up putting the team together. 
And, you know, Peter Shirelli fired him, but Shirelli's the one that put the team together. Yeah. And so I, um, you know, I, I don't know what Ken Hitchcock will be to do, how much he'll be able to change. Um, a little bit, I think, will be by style. But I also think that um, there's going to be times this year where you look at them and you're like, man, they could use another defenseman. They could use another winger. Mm-hmm. We'll see if he can coach past that. But here's the thing, Steve. If you look at the West or the Pacific Division, so I think um, Calgary and San Jose will make the playoffs out of that division. So then you're left with, with L.A. They've got a better chance to be in the Jack yeah. Hughes sweepstakes. Yep. You've got Anaheim that is a, a deeply flawed team with all kinds of injuries. You've got Vancouver, who I think, even with a nice start, they're going to fade backwards. Mm-hmm. Right? I don't think they're a poor team. And then you've got Vegas. And, I mean, Vegas isn't what they were last year. I don't think they're as bad as they are now. But, yep. you know, you can make a case for Edmonton making the, po- making the playoffs very easily. You know, very yeah. easily. Uh, what, what did you think when you saw Ken Hitchcock is, is the name coach? I mean, he, re- he retired. He told everybody he was done. That was it. I loved your, I loved your tweet yeah. That, you, yeah. that you said that he's, in an emer- or he's under glass, <laughs> like one of those emergency hammers. For you sure. Know, only when you need it. Yeah. And, and that's really, um, I mean, I, I thought Hitch was, you know, had retired. Of course. As right. much as he loved coaching, I thought, you know, he probably thought, okay, enough's enough. I, you know, I, I'm not going to coach anymore after he was let go uh, in Dallas. And then he, you know, out of nowhere, yeah. he's back. Well, he said he was done after St. Louis. Remember that? He's like, I'm done. And then he comes back for Dallas and he's like, I'm really done now. Oh, boy. Yeah, I, uh, I, I think he just loves the game. He yeah. loves to coach. Mm-hmm. Um, this, you know, he's from the Edmonton area. This must feel like a chance that he was never going to get. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Um, one thing for sure, the goals against will go down. Every yeah, single so, team he's been on. Yeah, last year uh, in Dallas, seven forwards um, uh, went down in point production. Seven of them. Yeah. Um, they also cut 35 goals from the goals against. That's mm-hmm. a half a goal a game virtually. And so you're right. They're, they'll, they'll be a tighter team. They'll mm-hmm. give up less goals. I mean, that's assuming their goaltending isn't so bad that they never get a save. Yeah. But I think it'll go down for sure. And now, will it be enough? Will they, you know, because they're going to give up a little bit of offense, mm-hmm. but the little bit they give up, very versed the the number of um, of goals they're going to cut. Mm-hmm. If it's a good balance, I think you know it's fine. Yeah. Um, God, he's a he will be. Everybody I've talked to that's played for him says the same thing. Man, what a pain in the ass to play for. <laughs> he kind of you know, like, he, he kind of said that when he was. They said, "What do you what do you tell the guys?" He said, "It's not going to be easy." <laughs> it's he kind of said that he was like telling them, warning yeah. them a little bit. Yeah, you talk to the guys in Dallas or the guys in St. Louis, and they'll say the same thing. Oh, my God. He, the problem with Hitch is he's right a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. And that makes him even a bigger pain in the ass. It's one thing if, you, if the coach is on you. It's quite another if he's right. Yep. And so, you know, the, in Edmonton, I, I'm curious. I mean, they, 
you know, the, the hopes and interest in Edmonton, a lot of it swings around Connor McDavid. Otherwise, they would just be, you know, they're another team in the league. But yep. McDavid's there, and people are really interested. There is pressure. There is scrutiny. And um, we'll see what Hitchcock's able to do with this team. You want to, uh, you want to bring Ryan on? Yeah, let's get him in. He would know better than us. Yeah, absolutely. All right, here we go. I'm making his second appearance on the uh, Paul Pocky podcast show with Ray Ferraro from TSN. He uh, covers the Edmonton Oilers and certainly plenty to talk about when it comes to them. It's Ryan Rashog. Ryan, welcome to the show. Thank you for coming back on. Yeah, great to great to join you guys again. Uh, last time was fun. Well, this time is uh, maybe a more hopeful time for the Oilers. It's funny what a coaching change does. Todd McClellan's out, Ken Hitchcock's in, and it's it seems like everybody you read and, the, you know, there is hope. And I don't know if it's unfounded or founded. What, what's your sense with Ken Hitchcock coming in? Well, I think that has something to do with the timing of this, guys, because, you know, with Peter Shirelli making this decision when he made this decision, uh, I mean, the orders had lost six of seven games, which kind of gave him the ammunition he needed to pull the trigger on this, right? Uh, but they weren't that far out of the playoffs. Often when a coach is getting fired midseason, it's like things are a disaster. Um, and while the orders had definitely been going the wrong way, they're still within striking distance of a playoff spot. So I think, um, yeah, the move was, it was, it was aggressive. Uh, maybe a little bit of self-preservation in there for Peter Shirelli as well, who knows his team needs to make the playoffs this year in order for him to likely have a chance at being around next year. Um, but in comes Ken Hitchcock, and they win a game and, uh, you know, show some pushback in that game. And all of a sudden, everything feels a little bit better for, for Oilers fans, and I'm sure in that locker room. So, you know, I mean, Ken Hitchcock in his first game behind the bench got goaltending, and he got pushback from his team. Uh, those are two things that Todd McClellan hasn't had a lot of in the last couple of weeks as head coach of the Oilers. So it was a good, solid start for Hitch. Um, but I've also seen this Oiler, play, Oiler team play all year, and uh, I know what may be coming as well. <laughs> so, okay, Ryan, so, you, you know, they got the pushback. Is, is that what they call the dead cat bounce, or yeah. is that more an indictment of what had happened with Todd McClellan, who, uh, I don't know, I happen to think he's a good coach that just kind of ran out of road, but what, what's your sense of that? Well, I think, and, and Ray, I'm sure you've been part of it, but, I mean, new, you know, coach out, coach in, I think there's automatically going to be a bounce there, especially for a team that I think that team liked Todd McClellan. I think those players like Todd, and I think this was jarring for them. Any talk that Todd had lost that locker room I think is, is garbage. It's just kind of what people say um, to try and figure things out. I don't think there's anything to that. So I think it was jarring for that group. And I, you know, I talked to, to Connor after the game, and, and you definitely get a sense in talking to him that it, it was jarring for them. So, yeah, I think they, they got their cages rattled a little bit. I think it causes them to look inwards maybe a little more than they, they might normally be prone to do. And so they come out with a real good, solid effort. Uh, in recent games, guys, when bad things have been happening, they would sag. And we've watched that for years in Edmonton where this, oh, here we go again mentality, you know, runs its way through that bench when bad things happen. And the other night, uh, it didn't. Bad things happened early on. They got scored on basically the first shift, and there was pushback. It was one nothing. They tied at one. And 2-1, 2-2. I mean, they erased three deficits. They didn't lead for a solitary second and then won it in overtime. So a resilient night in front of a new head coach that everybody is trying to, you know, show their stuff to. 
do the players outside of Kyle Brodziak, who played for Hitch in St. Louis, do they have any idea how <laughs> difficult this is going to become? <laughs> well, you know what? Uh, Chris Russell played for him as well. I tell you what, I, this, I like this approach. You know, Ken Hitchcock landed in uh, San Jose, I think, I don't know, around 11 o'clock or something like that. And the first thing he did before he met with the media, like before he did anything else, he had a meeting with the entire team. And now Peter Shirelli had the first meeting and said, here's what's happening and here's why and, and not good enough, guys. And Ken Hitchcock walks in, and his message to the team was basically, I think you guys have more, and I'm going to be really hard on you. I'm going to push you, and it's going to be uncomfortable, but that's what it's going to take to get you guys where you belong. Don't take it personally. It's just the way I do things, and be ready for it and show me what you got. Um, these are the things that are going to drive me nuts. These are the things that I'm going to look for. And so if you want it to work, these are the, you know, this is the way it works with me. Laid every card out on the table. And like he said, we don't have a get-to-know-you two weeks at training camp. This isn't soft and warm and fuzzy. Uh, it's, you know, the standings are tight. They're still in it. They can't waste any time. And I think that Hitch... For any guys, Ray, that didn't know what he might be about, and I can't imagine that anybody playing in the NHL right now wouldn't have at least heard some lore of Ken Hitchcock. <laughs> but for anybody who had any doubts, I think they got it. Uh, I think they got smacked in the face with it pretty fast. But the, this is the one question I have, though, guys, and I'd, I'd be interested in your thoughts on it. It's one thing for Ken Hitchcock in his prime to, you know come crashing down on guys with a new way of doing things and a new level of accountability and, you know, calling guys out, being that guy, a real tough-as-nails coach when he's got ownership's backing and a four-year deal in his pocket and the ability to go, I ain't going anywhere. It's my way or the highway. Can he be the same Ken Hitchcock on a four-month contract? Do you get the same buy-in from players? If you push them where guys are ready to just say, you know what, screw this guy. Do you run that risk at all? And I, and I just wonder in this situation if that is a risk that they run on a short-term deal with a guy like Hitch. So, so his first sell point is you go to, you have to sell and get Dreisaitl and McDavid on the page in a hurry. Is that is that not correct? Yeah, I think so. And and I mean I think um I think Connor McDavid is is on board and I think he's going to be on board. I think that uh, you know, I think McDavid is just really frustrated with what happened last season, really frustrated with the way that this season the early going has gone and I think McDavid's willing to, you know, do whatever he's got to do to get the team to where it wants to be. I don't think you're going to push Connor McDavid to the point where he says screw this. I just don't think that kid has that in him. Um, mm -hmm. It'll be interesting to see with Leon Dreisaitl because Dreisaitl's game has far greater peaks and valleys in it. You know, McDavid brings a pretty base level game every night and it's high. Some nights he's brilliant, some nights he's just awesome and there isn't really much below that. Whereas Dreisaitl he can have awful nights. He really can. But he can have brilliant nights. So a player like that's going to struggle more with a coach like Ken Hitchcock. So how will Dreisaitl do with being pushed the way Ken Hitchcock wants to push guys? Um, I have a funny feeling he might thrive under him. My initial gut instinct was to go, ooh, this might not go great. I'm not sure. Leon just might thrive under Hitchcock. Um, you know, different coaches can unlock different players. 
and they struggle, you know, to unlock other players. And, you know, very seldom can a coach unlock every player on his roster. It never happens. I have a feeling Hitchcock's going to fit. And, you know, and I think Drysaddle played well for McClellan. I, I can't help but feel like Hitchcock might be able to get something even more out of Drysaddle. Uh, Ryan, uh, Ray likes to, uh, on this podcast, say from time to time that it should be just called the National Goalie League um, <laughs> instead of the National Hockey League because if you, if you don't have one, uh, you, you can't win. Uh, certainly Cam, yeah. Cam Talbot, uh, he's a UFA. It's a big year for him. He, tremendous two years ago, not so good this year. You track these guys. You, you watch them every game. How much of what we're seeing is Cam Talbot – like, where is his level? It's obviously not two years ago. Is it better than last year, though? Is he kind of back? Is, or is he, again, sort of to blame for what's been going on here? Well, he definitely has his share of blame because he came in the clear-cut starter and was going to get every opportunity, and the head coach was going to defer to him as much as possible. And, well, he did have a stretch of decent play. He hasn't been good enough. I mean, the numbers, okay. if you look at yep. them. And, again, it's indicative of an overall – you know, a way that the team is playing. But at the end of the day, what, to me where it really becomes evident, you guys, is when, you know, they go into other cities and they play against other teams, and those teams have awful defensive breakdowns as well. And those teams make the same mistakes. And, you know, I'm thinking about the Tampa Bay Lightning game. I'm thinking about the Nashville Predator game. And this is high-end competition. And I watch those games, and those guys are making a lot of the same mistakes, and their goalies are making unbelievable saves. Mm-hmm. It's you know, If you're going to be one of the best 31 on the planet at this and have an NHL starting job, you have to be able to make sensational saves. You have to be able to make clutch saves. You can't just go in there and be okay and just good mm-hmm. enough to get your team by. The, the standard is higher for being a starter and being a, a really, really good starter. So Talbot has been just okay and bad on some nights. He hasn't been spectacular, and I just think that's where the bar is to be an NHL starting netminder. Okay, so the goaltending, of course, will help determine whether Hitchcock makes a huge impact on, yeah. on things. Can he, you know, you watch, you watch them more than almost anybody. Can he coach over the obvious holes in the roster? Yeah, well, I think, I think it comes down to style of play. I think you could make the argument that the Edmonton Oilers at times try and play a style of play that their roster can't support. In other words, they want to be this high-octane attack team. Well, with who? Like, who's doing that? I mean, we know McDavid and Dreisaitl can. We know Nugent Hopkins can be part of sustaining that. But are you telling me that, that Jujar Kara and Toby Reeder and, and these other types of guys are going to be able to sustain that? Are you telling me that that blue line, who Peter Shirelli goes on the radio the other day and says that we don't have enough B-plus puck movers? You know, talking about oh, that blue crazy. line that he put together. They <laughs> <laughs> can't, can't move the puck, you know, at a B-plus level enough of them. Um, so I think it comes down to style of play, and I think that's what Hitchcock is going to adjust. We had a good chat with him today. One of the things he's going to try and do, guys, is in his analysis of the order game, he thinks they're looking for too much stretch stuff. Too much, you know, forwards are always flying the zone. They look for the long stretch pass. They look for the long 
long dumps up ice in the off the stick and, and chip it in. He wants to see much more of a support game where forwards come back lower. The, the, he wants to see way more six to eight foot passes and way less twenty five to thirty foot passes. Um, and he believes that will help this team play a more supportive, faster, quicker type game. Um, so yeah, I mean, asking a defenseman who just isn't equipped to grab the puck, take five hard strides up ice with his head up, and make a wicked tape to tape pass versus just looking up, knowing the guy's going to be there. Uh, I think maybe it's the style of play that he adjusts around the personnel he has. Has Connor McDavid ever looked better? He's unreal. Yeah, oh my God! You know, I, I kind of hesitate a little bit because people tend to, you know, I'm the Edmonton reporter, you know, for TSN covering this team. You know, you start talking about McDavid and people think you're a big fanboy or something. I'm not. <laughs> I, I love hockey. I could care less how the Edmonton Oilers do. I love hockey. This guy's unbelievable. And and watching him uh, over the last few games of Todd McClellan coaching the Oilers, trying to throw this team on his shoulders and get things done. Um, you know, it's phenomenal. He's, he's just, you, you can't say enough about him, and his game somehow is even getting better. He's rounding himself out as a goal scorer. He's shooting the puck more from his high danger zones. Uh, that might have been part of what we talked about last time I was on, um, you know, him passing the puck away mm-hmm. too often when he's in the high danger um, positions. He's not anymore. He's thinking the game like a goal scorer. So it's been pretty phenomenal to watch. Um, I said at the beginning of the year, <coughs> excuse me, I had him at 56 goals. Uh, I don't know if he's going to get there or not, but the way he's thinking the game right now it, from a shooting mentality wouldn't surprise me if he still got there. There were a couple plays last night in San Jose where, for whatever reason, they had Joe Thornton's line out against McDavid. And I felt terrible for Thornton. It was yep. like he was in, in street shoes chasing a guy on skates. And I'm like, yeah, and, and, what? And it's just not, it's not the right match. And McDavid can make that opponent look silly on a lot of occasions. But I'm like, oh, my God, if you're playing against the Oilers, that matchup has to permeate everything else you do with your team yeah. because he's just so good. Right. So, and it's really interesting what Ken Hitchcock has picked out immediately is he said today that Sergei Zuboff is the last player and the only other player he has ever seen in his entire hockey life that has the ability to recover as quickly and get back out on the ice at 100% quality as Connor McDavid. Zuboff, he says, was the only other player that he saw could do it at this level. Immediately, Ken Hitchcock is going to try to take advantage of that. What we saw in last night's game, in particular the first 10 minutes and then the third period, he was double-shifting McDavid. He was playing yeah. him on two lines. Yeah. And so what that's doing, if you're uh, the San Jose Sharks and you want a particular deep pairing out there against him or a forward line, he's taking advantage of something McDavid can do that nobody else can, and that's deliver two high-quality shifts in three, in three, three-and-a-half minutes. And so by flipping those guys out there with the fourth, by flipping them out there with the fourth line, now the other team is they're scrambling. Do they try and run that deep pair out? It screws up their matchups, and it throws the other bench out of whack. And as a road team, um, that 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 that's taking away some of the home ice advantage that they have. So Hitch identified this really early. We saw him go to it really early, and I think he's going to do it a ton, you guys. I think we're going to see McDavid getting double shifted a lot. He also said he he like McDavid at twenty two. 
26 or something right now per game. Um, I was talking to him today. I would not be surprised to see McDavid in the 23 to 24, 24 and a half range uh, per game. Hitchcock, he simply thinks the players that he can do it. That's just amazing. I, you know, like the fluidity that he can play the game at, the fact that he can hide in the weeds for a part of a shift where not much is going and kind of conserve his energy. I mean, that's part of his hockey IQ. But 24 minutes or 23 minutes as yeah. a forward is astounding. I, now, I know, that's just minutes. another thing that, yeah, that he can do, right? Yeah, and sorry to interrupt you, but, but 24 minutes of, minutes of Ken Hitchcock, Hockey might be a <laughs> might bit be of a much. stretch. Because, be much. Well, because at the same time, in the same breath, I asked him flat out. I said, where are you at? Is there, is there any room in Ken Hitchcock's world for your top-end players to be cheating a little bit for offense, like all the top-end players in the league do? And he just said, no, not really. <laughs> <laughs> nope. So, you know, if he wants McDavid to play a certain type of 24 minutes, that'll be interesting. <laughs> One of the things to look for, too, guys, is he wants McDavid to play a little deeper in his own end. So Connor has a tendency to fly up ice a little bit. He likes that headman pass. He likes to get it at speed at or just across the blue line in the, in the neutral zone. I think Hitch is going to want him to circle lower and be the first touch guy off the defenseman stick a little more often. Um, than he has been. So we'll look to see if he does that. Um, but he wants Connor, Connor starting out with the puck sooner in his own end. Ray, should uh, uh, should uh, Connor just maybe call Brett Hall for some advice? Just hitch, <laughs> no, hitch I, I think I think the guy you should check with is Mike Madano. <laughs> because that to me is, you know, remember, Madano could fly, absolutely fly. And Hitch rode him like a jockey. And he played him big minutes, and he turned him into a more complete player. And it really kind of fits to me that, you know, he's, he's going to go after and – and, and that sounds wrong, but it's probably the wrong term. But when I say go after, I, I think this, Ryan, that I think he's going to go after McDavid and Dreisaitl because the potential for greatness is there with them. And he, they're the ones that are going to have to drag this team in the playoffs. And if he can get them doing things that maybe they haven't been able to do quite yet, that's probably their best chance. Yeah, for sure. And I think that – I don't think he's going to have to push Connor very hard. I think Connor – I mean, he said today McDavid's already two-thirds of the way there in terms of figuring out how well-rounded his game needs to be. Um, if Hitch had a, sorry, to... if Hitch had a little more confidence – in himself. Yeah, yeah I know. Eh? Well, you know, I, I think he's, he'll have to push those guys to a certain degree, but to me it's the other corners of the lineup, the other nooks and crannies where maybe they aren't being maximized or they're not getting much out of uh, I mean, if he can turn Milan Lucic into a usable top nine forward this season, um, that'll be a huge victory for him. And he has a plan for Lucic. He talked about him today. I mean, he's built he built an identity line in his first game behind the bench. And that is, he basically took the fourth line, which was Cassian and Brodziak, two-thirds of that line, flipped them up to the third line, dumped that Ty Ratty guy down to the fourth line, threw Lucic on the third line and said, this is the identity line. He wants them to be a north-south, hard-hitting, intimidating, difficult line to play against that softens teams up so he can throw Nugent Hopkins or Dreisaitl and McDavid over the boards. He wants Lucic to be part of that line that has that identity and to stop worrying about scoring goals. He also said he feels that Lucic is leaving quite a bit of offense on the table because he sees him 
taking himself out of scoring position too quickly. He's not arriving quite on time, and there's something in he sees something in Lucic's timing in and around the net when he stays in the soft spots, when he drifts off to the side. He said they're going to start working with him on that tomorrow. And he thinks that there's some more offense to be had there. So in one breath, he's saying he needs to stop worrying about offense. In the second breath, he's saying, I think I can fix his offense. Well, Ryan, if uh, I, I, I would be certain that Hitchcock would have seen the game on Saturday against Calgary. Um, and if you watch Lucic play with McDavid and Dreisaitl in that game, anytime the puck went into the offensive zone, the third guy into the zone was Lucic. Yeah. Like everything that he is supposed to be strong at is taken away. And so I, I read those comments too, and I'm like, that would be interesting to see. He's got a lot of work yeah. there with Lucic, but if he buys it, then maybe you get a functional player because right now they get nothing out of him. Yeah, and I think, I mean, he's, he made it clear. He needs to be a third-line player, and he needs to be on the power play. And I asked him after the game, because the Oilers never had any power plays, I said, well, was he going to be on your first-line power play tonight? And he just said, oh, you're going to have to wait and see. He wouldn't tell me that. Um, but, you know, he, he views Lucic's game as something that, that is salvageable and, and that he, can, he, can, he thinks he can get a little bit more out of him. And it's going to be a challenge. Like, Lucic's confidence is, man, it's just – it's in a real tough spot right now, and we're watching this player really struggle. You know, his bench management is something I'm eager to see because you talk about that that Calgary game, Ray, and that was a it was a it was a strong criticism I had for McClellan coming out of that game was bench management because I thought Todd showed savvy when things got out of control and Connor started to get into it. Leon had you know gotten himself into it a bit. He throws Lucic on that line and kind of settles everything down and goes, hey. Yeah, remember we got this guy. So if anybody thinks they're going to mess with these two, just keep in mind he's there too. And I thought it did a good – it was a good adjustment to settle the game down. But then a hockey game broke out. And when the <laughs> hockey game broke out, he left him on the line. And he left him on the line for the rest of the game. And in the third period, when the Flames are so good and so stifling, they needed McDavid and Dreisaitl to be going at full pace. And Lucic was stalling the line, and he didn't make the adjustment back. And, and those in-game adjustments are so critical with your lines. I, I found Todd normally had a pretty good bench feel, in my opinion. To me, that was a night where I was going, why is this happening? This is so clear. He's killing that line. So the in-game adjustments that Hitchcock makes, I'll be interested to see as he gets a feel for this team. Yeah, great stuff, Ryan. Thank you for uh, for joining the uh, the podcast again. I, I got a feeling your job is going to get a lot more interesting here with Hitch around and uh, a lot more uh, um, great press conferences and everything like that. So that's yeah. Be great. Well, you know, we were we were spoiled with Todd. Like Todd was very cordial and 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 super decent with the media. And if you asked the odd dumb question accidentally, he'd kind of give you the look, but then he'd humor you. Uh, we were lucky. You know, Todd was yeah. really good, uh, but Hitch is is on another level in terms of engaging with the media and such. So yeah, it's all. Good man. Like I'm, I'm used to rolling through all kinds of different personality types of coaches. I'm not sure. I think I'm getting into the teens, though, for the number of coaches I've covered here. Oh boy. Yeah, this might be enough, eh? (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks for coming on the podcast, Ryan Rashog from TSN. Really appreciate the time. Thanks, man. Yeah, great to talk to you guys, and thanks for having me back. You betcha, Ryan. Thanks a lot for your time. We'll talk to you soon. Good stuff from Ryan, and uh, yeah, interesting to see how this goes with Ken Hitchcock, coach of the Edmonton Oilers. He makes a good point, uh, Ray. 
Hitchcock was just named the interim. He wasn't given a, a, a long-term deal. And um, so it, it is interesting. And the theory, you've been there where you're like, this guy's out of the door. Like, we don't need to listen to this guy. So that's interesting. Well, yeah, it is. Uh, however, you know, I, I would say there's a, there's a greater possibility of that ha- happening in Los Angeles where Willie Desjardins is mm-hmm. hired under the same circumstance yep. than there is with Hitchcock. Right. Um, just to, you know, the, to the players, Hitchcock would have more collateral mm-hmm. built up. And um, I would suspect that, um, you know, that's what they would, you know, they'll, listening to Hitchcock, I think, will not be an issue. Right. Okay. All right. Um, so we had no coaching changes uh, all of last year, and we have four in just about two weeks. Uh, Mike Yo was also shown the door in St. Louis. Craig Berube, interim coach. What's your thoughts on that? Well, what I do think is that with the way parity is, with as tight as most divisions are, a lot of teams don't want to um, – they don't want to give up on their season. You know, they, they think maybe I can, I can make a change. Maybe I can keep our team engaged in a playoff race. And if they can do that, um, they all have the thought, once I get in, anything can happen. Whether that's true or not, that's kind of the thought. So I, I'm, I'm thinking the, the changes are, you know, L.A. saying, hey, look, we got problems here, but let's not give up on the season right now. Mm-hmm. St. Louis was a, is a very, has been a very disappointing team. I would say, along with Pittsburgh, um, as disappointing a team as there is in the league right now. Um, with the offseason acquisitions they have, so they're struggling, they're not scoring goals, so they make a change. Um, you know, then, then you got the one here in Edmonton, it's, you know, Edmonton's a point or two out of the playoffs, but they're like, no, nope, we can't let this sail away. We got to yep. jump on this. And, and so there's the next one. And, and it might not be the last. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, it, it may be not. Yeah. There's a few other guys definitely that, that uh, are under fire a little bit. It'll be uh, interesting to see. Yeah. St. Louis, they got shut out, uh, a, Two games in a row, I think, or something. What was their streak of them? Yeah, not three, going, yeah. three of four. Three of three four. Three of four in shadow. Yeah, so you know, the chief chief is in there, and he'll just scare the shit out of the players, if nothing else. Oh, uh, what a good guy. Oh, is he? Craig is he a Baru- good guy? Oh, okay. Craig Berube is a fantastic guy. Very popular with his players. Um, uh-huh. Did a really good job in the American League mm-hmm. um, after he was fired by Philadelphia as a head coach. Went down there. The guys loved playing for him. He really, really made strong strides with them. So he was brought up uh, to be an assistant coach um, with Mike Yo. And mm-hmm. now when Yo uh, leaves, you know, get, gets fired, um, you know, it, it's yeah. an easy move uh, in particular on an interim basis uh, to make. Lots of buzz around uh, Quenville, maybe going back to St. Louis. I'm sure you've heard some of that out there. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, it's an easy connection to make. I mean, Joel was really successful, very popular there. Right. Um, could it happen at the end of the year? Yeah. Maybe. Mm-hmm. But again, you know, the St. Louis owners would have to come up with six million bucks to pay Joel out of his contract. Mm-hmm. Like he's not coach. He's not coaching there for free. And so, well, I guess they wouldn't have to. No, come well, they just to pay the difference, right? Or whatever it yeah, is. But, yeah, but St. Louis can't say Chicago has the trump card here, Steve. St. Louis isn't going to be able to pay him a million dollars, and Chicago's going to pay five. Yeah. So he can coach against the division rival. <laughs> right. That's not going to happen. Yeah. You know, it would have to be a 50 50 split, something like that. Would they, 
Would they be into it? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, who knows, right? Uh, hey, you mentioned at the beginning of the show that you were doing your your EA Sports uh, NHL hockey game that so many people love to play and so many people know you from. You're, it's that time of year for you to lay down your voice tracks. Um, I mean, you've gone through it before uh, on the show, but let's let's cover it again. Uh, your your process of doing that. Well, it's uh, it's a lot different this year. Oh, okay. Um, last year, um, we did twenty eight taping sessions. Um, to to lay down all the mm-hmm. tracks. They're about five hours each. And so between myself and Eddie Olchek and um, Mike Emmerich, uh, Doc Emmerich, we, we laid down, you know, over 28 sessions. Um, this year there's going to be 48 sessions. Oh. Now, there there is a change. I don't know if I'm really um, at liberty to say, but, the um, you know, I'm, I'm with the game still. They've made a change um, with the play-by-play stuff. Um, but we're we're in like i was in today i'm in again next week i'm in the following week oh like boy. there is yeah, yeah. there is a lot more uh to do so i was in for five hours today and um so you go into a sound booth um they lay down a bunch of scenarios in front of you and you have to ad lib five or six different parts to each scenario mm-hmm. um might be a team with a power play um they're, you know, they haven't scored in the power play that tonight. Yep. Um, it hasn't been very effective. Now make up five things about it. Oh yeah, yeah. And mm-hmm. that's that's basically what I do. Yeah. And uh, uh, how much? I like it. How much do you have I to like pause it. between each take? Like, how much is the pause between each take? Or do you, can can they set, can they break it apart if you just leave a second or two behind? Between? Oh no no I um, e- each one is, you know, there's five or ten seconds between. You know, I gotta, I gotta think of something completely different to say. Okay, yeah. Oh, yes. Each, each time, right? So, um, some come pretty easy, some don't. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm pretty lucky. I think I'm a, I'm a visual sort of guy, so I can paint in my mind the mm-hmm. picture that I'm trying to accomplish. Um, and so, um, I, I don't. I, I, it's challenging in that I want it to be good, and I want it to be creative, and I want it to be different. Mm-hmm. Um, it's monotonous in that you just keep doing the same thing over and over. Yeah. Right. And, but you have to lay down so many tracks that the players playing the game don't get bored with listening to the commentary. Yeah. Yep. And so that's, uh, wow. um, you know, it, it's fun. It's really cool to be associated with it. And there's, um, there's a lot more work in it. The, the technical stuff, the, the, you know, the IT stuff that they do to, to make the game do what it does is astounding. They gave us a, a little bit of a lesson on how it's actually done. And, mm-hmm. you know, you, I don't know if I knew more or less by the time they were finished. <laughs> Can you drop in, like, listen to my podcast? No, nothing. Can you do something like that? Uh, in there, no. Well, maybe I can. I'll ask him. Sure, yeah. why not? Yeah, why not? And then also, maybe you can also compare a player to yourself in like NHL '94 because you were good in NHL '94. I um, I mentioned my, you know, I've got a few in there. I've okay. also uh, I put in a line um, that my kids say for soccer. Oh, really? Um, oh, cool. <laughs> they yeah, lo- they, so, lo- they uh, must love that, right? <laughs> yeah, when it pops up, if they happen to get it, they'll they'll love it. It's uh, oh. um, it's a soccer term, and when somebody scores in the top shelf in soccer, they call it top bins. Okay, and uh, so I got that in there. And, oh, cool. Um, I might uh, I might use the term techers. 
which is uh, technically very good. So, uh, oh, okay. you know, I, I've got all kinds of freedom to do whatever. It's just got to sound good. And, yeah. Um, I'm fortunate to – there are terrific people there. Mm-hmm. It's just really cool to be involved in something that has, you know, evolved so much and that, you know, um, my voice is on something that a bunch of people play that um, have no idea really – that I was a player. They know me as a TV yeah, person. I know. Right. That's ridiculous, by the way, but I guess it's true. Yeah, it's just, just the way time moves. Right. I'm, I love being involved in it. Um, yeah, no, it sounds like, a, sounds like a cool deal for sure. Now, do you have to say every player in the game's name? You would have to, right? Because they, they're going to cut yeah. that up. So you just have to go down alphabetical, top to bottom, every player's name. Yeah, they call yep. this thing the phone book. Yep. And so um, I have to say something just after the player's name. Um, so it, it makes it easier for them to do, uh, to insert it into a different play. Ah, okay. So, so for example, I'd say, um, uh, you know, uh, stall with the puck, Tavares with the puck, yep. Adri with the puck. Okay. And like just over and over and over. It's like, I don't know if you ever watched the movie Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. <laughs> yeah, a long time ago, right, yeah. Yeah, oh, it's an old movie, but Rupert's trying to poke his eye out. Yeah, right. And, and, they, put, and they put like a, a cork from a wine bottle on it <laughs> so he won't poke his eye out. Right. That's what you feel like when you're doing the phone book part. <laughs> nice pull on Rupert, Steve Martin's character with the pots and pans oh. and everything. <laughs> What a good, what a good move! Oh, it was, it was classic. Uh, all right, let's move on a little bit. Uh, so, something that you uh, early in the season, uh, Max Domi, you you spoke about him. The Habs obviously got him in a trade with with Arizona, and you were skeptical on him playing center a little bit. You weren't sure how that was going to work out. Uh, it was something like Duran, same kind of deal where they force fed him in there, and it didn't work out well. He's got 10 goals. He's got 25 points. The Habs are 11-6 and six right now. Um, it's working out. Max Domi is playing very well for the Habs. Oh, he's been amazing. Yep. And, um, and certainly I didn't see this coming. I don't even know if the Canadians could have seen <laughs> right, it right. Like, like this. You know, I'm sure they yep. hoped that it was going to be really good, but, you know, how would you know that it's going to be, you know, going to be like this? Mm-hmm. Um, like uh, as we tape this, Montreal is about to lose to New Jersey. Domi got his 11th goal of the year, and so like even in a train wreck of a game, he scores again. Yeah, um, he's been energetic. He shot the puck more than um, than he has in the past. I mean, the last couple of years, he got nine goals. Yeah, he was a, a, a lots of assists, but yeah, not not a lot of goals. You know, so it's um, it's really interesting to watch him just explode onto the scene. He's mm-hmm. been far better than what Jonathan Drouin has been mm-hmm. in Montreal. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very good pickup. Absolutely. Uh, by the Habs and, and he's showing it. Uh, the Buffalo Sabres, Ray, they're good. <laughs> they're uh, well, they're going to win again tonight. They're seven, two. I'm, I'm watching the Leaf game. I can't watch, focus on anything else. I don't know what your, what your deal is, but I can't focus on any other games right now. Well, I, you see, that's the way, you know, my day is focusing on the NHL. I, <laughs> And because you care if the Leafs win and I don't, right? I'm, you know, I'm following a whole bunch of different things. Wow. But Buffalo was up four nothing in Philadelphia. I mean, poor Philly. They're at home. They give up four in the in the first period. They they start Alex Lyon in goal, and the Flyers have been looking for a goaltender since Ron Hextall retired, mm-hmm. and it's been a bloody mess 
for them in goal. So they give up four in the first. Now they got it back to four, two. But, you know, yeah. Buffalo is all of a sudden they're scoring three and four goals a game. Yep. Yeah, they just rallied it, against Pittsburgh the other night. Like, they're oh. they're really good. <laughs> and, and you know, I mean, they're led by, you know, uh, Jeff Skinner. Right. And, you know, Skinner was acquired in that trade from Carolina. And um, he's got 15 goals. Yep. Free agent year for him. He's, you know, he fits with Jack Eichel and, and Jason Palmonville's off the scrap heap. Um, you know, given a, a little bit more, well, not a little bit, a lot more responsibility. And um, he's played really well with both Skinner and Eichel. And um, good for the people in Buffalo to, you know, yeah. support the team. Have been there in pretty good numbers over the last, you know, half decade or so. And they've never made the playoffs. I mean, it must be fun for them to cheer for something again. Yeah, and Carter Hutton has been playing pretty well. Like, I wonder if the got people in St. Louis are like, huh, oh, you know, oh, maybe we made the wrong choice. Carter Hutton's been good. Well, yeah, the problem was they didn't really have a choice because, um, you know, Hutton was an unrestricted free agent, mm-hmm. and the Blues are, you know, they're they're right up near the cap, and you can only you can only pay your goalie so much. Yep. And they had Jake Allen signed, a, you know it would have been hard for them to try and find somebody to take Jake Allen, given the way last year went. Yeah, that's for him. true. He wasn't exactly in demand, I would think. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so you're, you know, and Allen's up over 4 million bucks. So they were, you know, Hutton was going to leave and they, you know, mm-hmm. signed Chad Johnson and, um, but Hutton and, and Linus Olmark have been very good in goal for, yeah. for Buffalo. Olmark is their goalie of the future and a great big Swedish guy. And, um, you know, for the most part, both he and Hutton have been very good. Uh, kind of throwing this on you without without prepping you, but thinking about the Philly goaltending, uh, Carter Hart, how's he doing in the A? Have you followed him much? And does when does the dam break and, and they just bring him up? Uh, I have not followed him much because, um, in my mind, it doesn't – I mean, short of all of their goalies <laughs> Everybody. getting hurt right. and quitting, um, <laughs> I don't think they call up Carter okay. Hart at yeah. all. They just, they just have um, patience, huh? Yeah, and the funny part is, you know, Ron Hextall was um, was rushed a little bit mm-hmm. um, under, under different circumstances. Pelly Lindbergh had um, had been their number one goaltender and died in a car accident uh, during the season, and mm-hmm. Hexy probably wasn't ready to be called up. And um, I remember watching him on TV the night he got called up. I think he won his opening game two one, and um, but it was. Uh, it was a rush job to get Hex into the mm-hmm. into the NHL. He wasn't quite ready yet. Um, that's not going to happen with Hart. Right. Hextall himself will, won't pull a Hextall and pull him and, and get him up. Yeah. <laughs> now the question becomes: Does Dave Hextall survive, or is he the next coach? Because yeah. I would say if you're focused in on one, mm-hmm. it might be Hextall. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Hextall. You know, everyone wanted him gone last year, fans wise. And he held on to him, and it, and it paid off. And and you know, but if you're Hextall, you're like, I can't wait. Like you said, you just can't wait anymore. You got to go. So yeah, I mean, it, it depends what they're thinking about what they would do. Would they mm-hmm. hire one of their assistant coaches as a as an interim coach? Would they go find another guy? Do they have another guy they think about? You know, really interesting uh, mm-hmm. choices that they have to make. Uh, Mike Hoffman, Florida Panthers, sixteen-game point streak scored in Ottawa the other night. That had to feel pretty good for him because we all remember sort of the controversy with him and Eric Carlson and their their wives' girlfriends, and and how he sort of had to get out of there. Um, but he's been playing re- very well for the Panthers. 
He really has been uh, very productive. It's interesting to, to me that, you know, most guys that get a 10-game point streak, they got 15 points. Mm-hmm. He's got a 16-game point streak. He's got 16 points. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, yeah. he's got one point, yeah. 16 games in a row. Yeah. That's crazy to me. Not No two-point nights, yeah. no three-point nights. And, and, and the one uh, against Ottawa was late, I think. I think it was, like, only a minute yeah. left or something, yeah. Yeah, a minute yep. and a half left he scored. Yep. Now, um, in that game, they lost Vinny Trocek for the season. Oh, yeah. Um, it, just a terrible-looking injury, and... Um, it's, uh, I mean, that's, to me, that's a little bit of a death blow for them. Mm-hmm. I, um, I don't think that, um, that they're going to be able to overcome that. He's just too important a part of their team. Empty net goal for the Carolina Hurricanes. Yeah, you'll be all right. It's, I, what did I tell you, by the way? <laughs> you did. Uh, I said, they're going to win this game just like they did against Columbus. And you said, no, not tonight before we hit record. Not tonight. And yeah. it was three. It was, it was three, at, two at the time, wasn't it? No, it was, Cap, uh, it was, it was it two, three, one. one. No, it was two, one. Oh, two, one. Then, then it was three, one. Then yep. Kappen and scored a beautiful rush. And yep. now they give up an empty net. Yep. I told you, Steve, just listen I know. once in a while. No, I know. You know. It's almost like you know something about hockey. It's almost like that. Yeah, yeah so I've got these guys in Carolina or in uh, Columbus on uh, on Friday. And um, so, the you know, for, for Toronto, they're mm-hmm. you know, nine, now 9-2 nine and two on the road. And uh, so the rematch against Columbus from Monday night. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's, uh, let's get in some game of the day, some questions. Uh, I want to ask you about... Woods versus Mickelson that'll be taking place here uh, here in Vegas uh, in a couple of days, even though I don't care less about golf. I figured I'd ask you. Um, all right, the game of the day. First of all, I got a few questions about the game, some games of the day. Did you see the one I put out, the Ray Ferraro game of the day, that it was a 8-1 to one win and you were pointless? Your plus minus was zero? Did you see that? No, but I, I do. That's not the worst. The, the worst game I can think of is um, we won 7-2. I was in with the Islanders. We okay. won 7-2 in Quebec, mm-hmm. and uh, I was minus two. <laughs> okay, that that would have been worse, right? i got to be honest with you. That's about as shitty a day as you can have. <laughs> I don't know how in an 8-1 win over the Senators, your, your plus minus is zero. You don't get a point or a shot. Very strange for Actually, you. Actually, you know yeah. what? I think if you can look up that um, – um, that game, that game was in Ottawa. I want, I want to say, um, I want to say I played only, I played very little cause I hurt my back in in a wrestling fight sort of thing okay. in the mid second period. Okay. They don't have the time on the ice. Yeah. They don't have time on ice. So, but was the game in Ottawa? Uh, I'm looking that up right now. I believe it was. Yes, it was. Yes. It would have been in the old Civic Center, I yep. believe. Their old yep. little 10,000-seat rink, correct? Uh, yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah, first year, right? First year for the Senators. So, Is yeah. it, say, the first year? Yeah. Yeah, yeah well, that, well, that would have been – I know the game. I know the game. Okay, so and, um, all right, so there we go. <laughs> yeah. There's our answer. Like, I just couldn't figure it out. It just blew me away. I just was like, come on. Um, yeah, no fun, that's for sure. Uh, another – I have a few other questions. But I've been looking at some Thrasher stats, and – you're under 10 minutes a game for a bunch of games. I don't know what exactly year it is, but uh, Brunette. Well, what, is, what year is it? Well, I, now, now you got me on the. Uh, well, I mean, it can't be that hard. You said I don't know what year it is. You're reading it. <laughs> 
Okay, so, uh, okay, wait. That would have been 99-2000, right? Yep, I believe it is. Hold on, because I just checked. Um, I just checked the uh, the next year. Yeah, Tom O'Reilly is, is kept track, and yep, that's it. Yeah, nine minutes and 46 seconds. Yeah, but the 99-2000 season. Yes, yes. Okay, yep. I'll tell you exactly what happened. Okay. We were we were playing in Saint or playing in Buffalo and um uh we took a bunch of penalties in the first period. And um Kurt Fraser, our coach, after the intermission or in the intermission said, No more penalties, I've had it. No more penalties. Okay. So I start the second period, four seconds into the second period I take a penalty. <laughs> Like four seconds, I trip the other centerman. <laughs> so I go back to the, I go to the penalty box. Uh-huh. I see him staring at me. Right. I know I'm benched. So <laughs> okay. I, the penalty's over. I go back to the bench. I don't get another shift. So I'm sitting there talking to the spare goalie. Hanging third out. Period rolls, third period rolls around. I'm not even, I'm still not playing. So I'm, I'm sitting there. I got my chin strap done up, undone. We, <laughs> we pull the goalie. He, I don't know what the hell he's doing. He calls my lane. And, and so I jump over the boards with my chin strap undone. And now I've got, I jump on the ice. Somebody's going down the ice. They shoot it from the wing. It hits the goalie, comes out. I shoot it in the net. <laughs> right? Like I haven't been on the ice in two hours. Yeah. So anyways, after the game, we're on the plane and um, we're watching a movie and the movie was dumb and dumber. Okay. And so um, Fraser comes up, pulls the headset off my head and says, Hey, did you swear at me tonight? And I'm like, not a chance. And he said, I'm going to give you one more chance. And I'm like, Nope, I didn't. Yeah. He said the little camera in the penalty box picked you up. We were just watching it. And I'm like, Oh, that's not good. So that 10 game stretch you're talking about. Yeah. I don't, I can't tell you exactly when it is. I'm going to guess late October, November. Yeah. It's right around November. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we're playing about a month later, right at the end of that in St. Louis. And, um, Kurt gets, he's pissed at the end of the second period. He breaks a stick on the, wall in St. Louis in the locker room and he throws it in the room. <laughs> well, it's got to go somewhere. It hits one of the cement cross beams, comes back, hits me in the side of the head. Holy and smokes. So, Kelly Buckberger says he's sitting beside me. He goes, did that hit you? And I'm like, yeah. And he starts to giggle. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, Kurt apologized 132 times. All of a sudden, I'm on the power play. I'm, oh, I'm, I'm back. You're back. <laughs> but that 10 games, I know exactly what it was. Yeah. I know exactly why it was. And it sucked. <laughs> it's good stuff. <laughs> Did you swear at me? Nope. <laughs> it's, like, it's, like, it's like you're back yeah. in grade five again. <laughs> well, the problem was... He had all the information. Yeah. I didn't. Yeah. And uh, when he said to me, I'm going to give you another chance, and I denied it again. Yeah. Yeah, that, was, that probably didn't help me. Oh, that's hilarious. And then you get hit with a stick, and then you're back. Oh, that's oh awesome. and I was so back. I, I was back. <laughs> Good stuff. Uh, yeah, I really like that. So, game of the day for today, uh, November 21st. Is, this is uh, November 21st, 1995. You are with the New York Rangers. 
You guys beat the Penguins 9-4. to Mario, minus 3. Not a good night for Mario. Uh, and you have the all-important ninth goal in the third period. You are one goal, one assist on the day. Uh, of course, you assisted on Robotized goal because that's all you ever seem to assist it on was Robotized goals. <laughs> it's, it's never too late to get on the board. Like you mock the ninth goal, the ninth goal is important. It's very, very key. Um, but seventeen uh, ten of the third period. Uh, but then Pittsburgh Pittsburgh scored a, uh, a set after that, so it was actually nine to one. You made it nine to one, and then they got a late one by McIver, Norm McIver. Um, so yeah, actually, you guys just handed Penguins Mario, Yager, Francis, Barrasso. Barrasso was in for all nine. How about that? All nine? Yeah, Ooh, he must have been happy. No, I, he, well, he's such a cheery individual, anyways, right? So yeah, that uh, that couldn't have been very very much of a. A fun deal to to be have to stand in there for yeah. nine of them. Uh, the little ball of hate with a hat trick. Yep. yep. So he would have been with uh, he would have been with Messier and Grace. Yep. Yep. So uh, nine to four, handing it to the Penguins. Good job on the game. Yeah, of the day. Every once in a while, you get a good day. Some days they just yep. don't go so well. <laughs> right. 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 All right. Some uh, Twitter questions from our uh, listeners. Uh, here we go. Somebody said on Twitter that you would remember. What happened to that time uh, on that game for the time of the ice and everything? And uh, and so exactly you did. That's exactly right. Yeah, that, um, there's no there's no question on that. By the way, last week's guest Liam McGuire, lot of Twitter feed, <laughs> Twitter talk on yeah. him. Uh, so that was awesome. That was good. That yeah. was awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so uh, t- t- question from uh, Mike DeCobb. What was the first concert that Ray attended? And he wants to know mine too. First concert you uh, ever attended. First one was John Cougar when he wasn't John Cougar Mellencamp yet. He was just John Cougar. And that was in Spokane, Washington. I was about 18. You were playing there there, there then, I guess, right? No, no, I lived, oh. I lived just, uh, I lived just uh, north. Uh, that's where my hometown is. And we went down, uh, went down to the concert uh-huh. and... Um, yeah, we were. Uh, John Cougar was a big deal, so yeah. I yeah, I was very pumped about that. Uh, mine was Motley Crue at Winnipeg Arena, nineteen eighty nine. Motley Crue. Crue. Yeah, and they were letting off bombs inside, and I I couldn't hear, and the concussion bombs and everything. Good oh, times. Right. Yeah, uh, the Winnipeg Arena was just garbage for concerts. By the way, it was just terrible. Uh, well, what what do you mean you couldn't get the atmosphere from the big queen's picture at the uh, yeah, exactly at the end? yeah it was like she was looking at all of us judging all of us all the time yeah. <laughs> uh, from Jeff Lawton uh, what in Ray's memory and this is maybe more when there wasn't so many TV timeouts or wasn't scheduled TV timeouts what in Ray's memory is the longest that a period has gone without a stoppage either playing or broadcasting have you ever seen a whole period go by without a stoppage. No, I would say seven or eight minutes is um, is the max. Yep. Um, and it, it's funny because it sets the TV broadcast back because you're supposed to have a mm-hmm. you have a commercial timeout just under fourteen, um, just under ten, just under six. And if it goes too long, then the two get bunched together. It's kind of a mess. Right. Um, but when did TV timeouts come into play? When, when, what, what year was that? Do you think you were playing still, right? So yeah, I, I would any, say any idea? In the early early nineties, maybe. Okay, mi- yeah. mi- late eighties. You know, like I, I remember them uh, uh, mid nineties. Mid nineties. Okay, 
So yeah. in the some games in the eighties probably just went for whatever. <laughs> just, Two hours. Right, exactly. Move it along. Yeah. Uh Randy Pepler says uh he needs a bet settled. Who was the better goal scorer, Ovechkin or Bossy? Oh man, I know you've you've, I mean, like, you've actually compared like, the you've compared the, both of these guys to each other. Yeah, a few but times. these questions are impossible to you know who's yep. better. I don't know. Mike Bossy scored fifty times or fifty goals nine straight years, yeah. and then hurt his back and retired with thirty six in his tenth year. Yeah, and Ovi's got six hundred goals. Yep. The the answer is both. Like I, there's no neither of them are better than the other. Okay. Uh, John wants to know, and this isn't me asking, this is John, what are the chances that Ray thinks the Leafs can come ahead on anything regarding Nylander right now? What is what is going on with Nylander? Nothing, right? I mean, like, nothing, lots, who knows? I mean, no, <laughs> nobody talks about it. So it's really difficult to, to say with any certainty. I mean, I'm, I'm sure they would like to have, um, you know, some clarity on this spot. Um, they don't have it. Um, we're, you know, you're eight days away and everybody can speculate as, um, as much as they want, but nobody really knows. I, I don't even have a feel anymore, Steve, um, you know, like how, yeah. how would you know, you know, like it's, it's really kind of, it's, it's kind of a crapshoot to, to think, um, you know, is he going to get signed? Is he going to get traded? Are they going to hold on to him and trade him in February? I mean, what? I, I, I just don't know. Well, I was going to ask you for a prediction, but you just don't know. I'm holding out hope. I, I just don't. I don't. I don't. Neither the the biggest problem I would say is neither team has any leverage. Neither side. There's no right. There, right. Yeah. Neither. Yeah. Or yeah. I'm sorry. Neither side has yep. any leverage. Right. And so when there's no leverage, well, I just how is that? How is that going to get anything settled? Bridge deal, six million, two year bridge deal. There we go. Okay, that's kick, great for who? Just kick it down the road and see what happens, see how he plays. I don't know. Yes. Okay, that's fine. But why are you so team-friendly? Well, what I mean, mean... Kick it down and see what, see what happens down the road. He doesn't want to sign that. He doesn't think it's right. But I, it's better than sitting out a whole year. But it, is it? Why, why, does he, why do you think that... He just wants to play in Toronto with all his heart. Maybe he doesn't. Uh, see, Ray. I mean, why wouldn't you want to play in Toronto? It's awesome. It's the Leafs. <laughs> well, maybe he's got a hundred reasons. Right, right, uh, right. Like, yeah. and so people are people are speculating and saying he should do this and he should do this, and but you don't know what he's thinking. And and anybody that thinks a player should give up money. For a hometown discount? No, yeah, they're foolish. No, I, I agree foolish. with you on that. Yep, I agree with you on that on that thing. So Connor McDavid gave up over a million dollars a year um, when he signed, and granted, he's making twelve million bucks, but he gave up a lot of money. How's that working out for him? Mm-hmm. Uh, bang bang Bart wants to know: Can you talk about starting your career in the high flying eighties? And ending it in the dead puck era, what was it like playing in the era? And what was their transition like? Uh, lots of people want to talk about New Jersey Devils. The first cup win is when things started to go sideways. Left wing lock, you know, the trap. And, and that's when hooking and holding came in. I don't know. I'm interested in getting your take to this answer, right? Well, it's not wrong. Um, uh, if you remember when the Devils won in 95, we were coming out of the lockout, uh, missed the 
last part, well, the first part, the 94 part of the 94-5 season. And Jacques Lemaire was the coach. And his idea was that because they don't have a lot of time, if they can be really good defensively, maybe they can get ahead mm-hmm. of what other teams can be. And as it turned out, he was right. And then, of course, other teams said, hey, why don't we just play the way the Devils play? Yep. So guys started, to, because there were no penalties called at the time, um, guys got bigger and stronger and slower, and they just the ice just got clogged up. It was like a traffic jam night after night. And so, you know, the change wasn't immediate, but pretty soon you realize there's no ice. There's yep. nowhere to go. Yeah, I mean, and, and again, you know, you're playing in the late 80s, mid to late 80s, and it is just open. It's just goals galore. Yeah, you're, if you weren't scoring four goals a game, you didn't have a chance. <laughs> uh, goalie equipment, too, right around Patrick Waugh's time in Aval- Colorado, so that's 96, right? Yeah, yep. once the goalie gear started to grow, once yep. the team started to change styles, yep. um, really, um, you know, it, it really all changed. Uh, Jeff wants to know favorite places to eat in Boston. Uh, I don't, I don't have one particular place. I, I like any place in the North end. Look, I'm Italian. Yep. I like good Italian food. Um, the best part about the North end in Boston is if you don't like the restaurant you're, you're in, mm-hmm. walk 10 feet and go to the next one. <laughs> uh, I was just in Paris on the weekend and I was with a bunch of motorcycle racers and we were eating at the hotel restaurant, and I on Sunday night we got done early, and I said, guys, let's go out for a nice dinner. Let's find a place, jump in an Uber. And none of these guys wanted to do that. They just said, ah, we'll eat at a hotel restaurant. And I was just, I was sickened. I'm like, we're literally yeah. in Paris. We can go You're, so many places. Yeah, you got to try. I Not mean, these like, guys. No. Oh, maybe they But so, then I was complaining to somebody else, and I said, did you ever think about how they just didn't want to go eat with you? <laughs> Which <laughs> kind of good point, right? Right, good point. right, right. Uh, um, I got I got to tell you a quick story about Paris. So, yeah. Gord Miller and I are there. We go uh, for the World Championships a couple of years ago. We um, uh, we go for lunch, and so we rent these bikes, and we're like a couple of real tourists, right? <laughs> and so we ride around, and we find this restaurant, mm-hmm. um, you know, with a, a great view, a few blocks away from the Eiffel Tower. Yep. And so we're sitting there eating, and there's this, oh, I'm going to screw up the name of the sandwich, but it's, I think it's called Coke Lorraine. Okay. And it's got, like, ham and cheese, and it's melted on a baguette. It's okay. It's awesome. Yep. So, as you know, the, the French, they're very friendly. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, meaning they're not. Yeah. So I, I asked the, uh, the waitress, I say, uh, okay, I'll order this. Uh, can I get... It with light cheese and she goes no <laughs> no just like, like not no yeah, yeah, um, yeah think about it was like no no so the order comes gord looks at me after about three minutes and he's like holy have you taken a breath this <laughs> thing was amazing <laughs> yeah they they like the baguettes and the bread sandwiches and everything and all that for sure yeah no wow. i i it, it, there's there's lots of options. Uh, your oh. your boys failed you. Oh, it's terrible. I mean, I've been there so many times, but it doesn't matter. It's great food. So, all right. Uh, John Garrett's Muzz wants to know: Do NHL alumni get funding or benefits for therapies like massage, Cairo, and physio? Do no doubt. The- uh, it, it, it depends. Yep. Um, so when you retire, you have the opportunity to continue with the um, 
with your health care, your extended health care. Mm-hmm. Um, it's way more expensive in the state than it is in Canada mm-hmm. because we have universal health care here. Um, and so some guys choose not to continue it because they feel like they can't afford it or um, they just don't want it, I guess. Yep. So the answer is it depends on what your health care is, right. what your health plan is. Uh, all right. Uh, Zach wants to know, what was the most unique alteration a teammate or opponent made to a piece of equipment in your playing career? Um, well, that would be anything Patrick Waugh did to his goalie gear <laughs> or, what, or what J.S. Jaguar did to him. Yeah. I mean, yeah. all of a sudden, J.S. Jaguar was wearing a box under his equipment. <laughs> um, yeah. Didn't they, like uh, – didn't they lose do some of their pants so like a flap went down? Oh, well, right? Yeah, but well, yeah, but the they? goalies like they would wear you know, you'd get a goalie that weighed 175 pounds wearing pants that fit a 225 pounds goalie. Yeah. Yeah. Like they just cheated. Yeah. They, they, like they can say whatever they want. They were all a bunch of cheaters. <laughs> it was it was ridiculous. They looked like if you saw a goalie in most cases standing in his goalie pants without his chest chest protector on he looked like a guy standing in a barrel yeah 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 and then they then they put their uppers on and then you realize they were really cheating and i mean and it took it took 10 years for the nhl to catch up to that you know but but the thing is steve they didn't want to catch up to it you don't think everybody knew everybody knew i mean how could you Right. How could you not? Tell? Well, the, as the goals per game were going down and down, and games were getting uh, more boring. I don't think that's a word, but um, more boring. Yeah. I don't think we can use that. Okay, uh, I, someone should have said something. We, you know, I don't know. Um, Adam Seinhouse says, which former teammate was the biggest instigator off the ice? The one most likely to cause hijink shenanigans and get the rest of you in trouble off the ice. Well, there's lots of different. <laughs> ways you can answer that like you know get us in trouble like in what way like well, legal, legally let's say first of all yeah like you know like like benny hogue was a was a pretty good prankster yep um you know benny's a guy that me and him were going back and forth and you know playing little jokes on each other and then we come back after a road trip it's raining i get into my car i'm driving home i turn my wipers on and like the defrost isn't working in the car. So, yeah. you know, I turn it up, I turn it down, I turn the heat up, I turn the heat down. I'm, I can barely see the wipers are not clearing anything. So I'm looking out the side of my, you know, I open my window, I'm looking out the side. I finally get home. <laughs> As I get out, I smell like, uh, you know, like Vicks, yeah. like ch- vapor rub. It's all over my windshield. The bugger had spread it across, <laughs> so when I turned the wipers on, it just smeared it back and forth. Yeah. Oh, good stuff. And so, like, so you got to, you know, like, Hoagie was, Hoagie was a guy like that. Right. Now, I, I will say I like to do that. One of my greatest pranks of all time, I love to – guys used to bring donuts into the room, like on an optional practice. Okay. So after practice, guys would have a donut and you're sitting around. And so I like to, we used to have, or every locker room has um, this machine and it has paraffin wax in it. And so it's really good for like, um, if you put your hands in it, the wax forms on your hands and it heats them up. And so if you're, if you've got like a broken finger or cracked up hands, it, it, it helps, helps you loosen up. So 
I like to take the glazed donut <laughs> and dip it in the paraffin wax. Holy smokes, that's so bad. And so, so one day I do it in L.A., and there's one donut left, and Gary Galley and Donald Audette see the donut, and they go to get it. And Galley ends up with it, and Audette's like, hey, gah, you know, give me a bite. And Galley's like, yeah, screw you, Donald, and he eats right. the whole thing. So about 10 o'clock at night, I get a phone call. It's from Gary. He's like, oh, you bugger. He says, you put that thing in a wax, didn't you? He says, I've been on the toilet all, after, all evening. And I was like, maybe. That's so bad. You could kill a guy, couldn't you? I don't know. I don't know what wax does. I, I, don't, I don't know the medical stuff about that. What <laughs> I know is that was an effective prank. <laughs> I don't know the medical stuff. Holy smokes. Oh, that's a good one. Um, uh, I, I, I like to, uh, let's see, what else would I, I like to um, cut a guy's stick almost all the way through. And so when he go lean on it, it would break. <laughs> So, like, you'd go to practice, you'd go to shoot, and the thing would break. I, I like doing that stuff. Um, oh, here, another one. This is another one I was really proud of. So, anytime I could get to an escalator, I'd like to get up the escalator oh, yeah. and then turn it off. You told us this one a couple weeks ago. Yeah, yes, I'd like, right. I think that's creative. <laughs> it is. I like that one. I put it in my back pocket for down the road. I have. Oh, it, it works. Yep. It's effective. And the fact that you can piss off a whole team of guys behind you, it, it's just like bang for the buck. Yeah, you just can't, can't, can't get better for that. Uh, all right, last one from Matt. Uh, has there been a concert? But let's, let's scratch concert. Let's just say event. Has there been an event you regret missing when you were a player or as a broadcaster? Oh. Was there something that you were just – like you were almost hoping you could maybe you know pull a groin and have to miss – a few games of a road trip or something. Do you ever remember anything like that? Uh, not, not really. I mean, I, I, I wish, oh, and this is, I'm being honest here. I wish I, there were times that, you know, there'd be a great concert in a city we were in. Mm-hmm. And I wish I would have gone to them the night before a game. Yeah. Like you're going to be out of there at 1030 or 11 yeah. o'clock anyway. Yep. Like, why not? But I'd be like, no, no, I got to play tomorrow. Right, right. And, and I know that I missed chances to go see, like, the Stones and U2 and, yep. like, you know, like, significant bands. And I just, and I blew it. Yep. And I wish I would have done that yep. more. Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't have gotten in trouble, right? There was curfew. I mean, nobody, the curf- well, What's curfew. Well, curfew was 11 o'clock. Curfew's 11, so okay. You could have gone, gone to the show till 1045. Yep, yep. Like, at least go. Right. And, I, and I just didn't. And I wish I would have done more of that. Uh, Kmart wants to know, who, do you have to, who does he have to pay off to get you to call more jet games on TSN? Is there, is, can he send a check to you or a check to um, I got 10 of them. Yeah. I mean, I did my first one. Thank you for saying that. Mm-hmm. Um, did my first one the other night, and I got, uh, I got nine more to go. So um, looking forward to it, and I'm glad, uh, glad people like to listen to me on there. All right. So Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson in Vegas here. You're a golf guy. I'm not. But what's your take on this thing? Do you even care? Do you, will you watch? I will not watch. If it was in my backyard, I would not watch. <laughs> okay, really? Wow, okay. Like, who cares? Okay, like, wow. Seriously, it's a... Wow. It's a, if, they, if they wanted to make me care, they should donate all of their prize money or purse or whatever to charity. If they wanted to care. Uh-huh. They're doing... This is a money grab. Yep. It's a horseshit event. 
And holy I, smokes, I, I, I hate it. I hate it. I, I this is shocking. I, I mean, I, I'm okay. You could have told me like you don't really care that much, but you actually really no. don't like this at all. I, I, oh, I think yeah. it's, I think it's stupid. I think it means nothing. I can't imagine people are thinking there's a rivalry between them that oh they're really gonna. Grind yeah. it out. And I know, it right? In. Right, right. It's gonna. It's, it's like a Sunday afternoon round. Uh, is what t- they're playing. Twenty years ago, this might have been something. Yeah, yeah, when they really hated each other. Yeah, you bet. Right now, they're you know they're mid forties. They don't care. They're making some cash. Yeah, they're la- they're laughing all the way to the around. bank, right? And and yeah, and it is a bit of a. Uh, yeah, I mean, whatever. Hey, look, no one's forcing you to buy it, but it's yeah, it is a little bit sickening with the money being put up. You're just like, oh boy, you know. So yeah, like okay, so when when there's pay per view, like when McGregor and um, Mayweather were fighting, uh-huh. um, or um, it was, it was uh, Mayweather and Pacquiao first. Yep. Right. They waited forever for that fight. Yep. At least if you're watching it, you know it's a competition. Somebody's getting punched in the face. Right, like it's it's a real competition. This mm-hmm. is a round of golf that means nothing. Yep, yep. Okay. Wow. I didn't know you you felt so uh, strongly about that. I'm glad I asked this question. I thought it was maybe a dumb question, but um, no, it's, it's actually the best question you've asked tonight. <laughs> okay, fantastic. Good to hear. Well, thanks to Ryan Rashog for coming on. Uh, thank you, people, for listening. Happy Thanksgiving if you're in America, which is tomorrow, uh, football day. And if not, then uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Appreciate it. Ray, as always, uh, thank you for the insight. And you were right. The Leafs lost. Um, I, I, yep, I need to listen to you more. Yeah, you do. Happy Thanksgiving to everybody. Look around. Be uh, uh, Take a look at, what you're, at the blessings you've got at I hope you get to spend it with family. Hope you get to watch some football and enjoy the day. And uh, thanks for listening, and we'll, uh, we'll chat in again next week.